Hey, so this is a uh, recording I did with John D'Angelo of the Anti-War War Vet. Um, just doing a real quick recording here so the audio sounds a little weird, that's why. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were talking about the first presidential debate in uh, 2020 between Joe Biden and Donald Trump and uh, looking at it from a uh, libertarian point of view, Christian point of view, and you know, rational, <laughs> hopefully, point of view. Um and so it touches on, you know, some issues, I think, that are relevant to Christian ethics and things like that. So wanted to cross-post it on Cantus Firmus as well. So I hope you guys enjoy it, and it sparks some thought and discussion. Thanks. What's going on, everybody? Um, so we're talking about the uh, presidential debate today um, with Cody from Cantus Firmus. Um, he should be coming on here just about any minute. Um, I don't know what to say except that I've never watched a debate all the way through. And so um, having watched a debate all the way through this time, um, I'm, I don't know, maybe this is my punishment for not caring more about what these empty suits had to say in the past, but um, it's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, uh, just sending it over to Cody now. Um, I, I'm I'm not convinced, especially in this uh, in this moment, that the debates really do anything. Um, I don't think they're changing people's views, and I don't think they're going to convert anybody. Um, but there seems to definitely be an increase in like political intransigence, and um, we're all really divisive and tribal at the moment. So um, it's going to be interesting to talk about. As far as foreign policy goes, um, just as like a quick aside, uh, because that's all it was in the debate, um, we really didn't hear much from either either uh, candidate. Everything was really focused on the big domestic social issues, the virus, um, the economy, uh, and then obviously all of the the rioting and and um, law and order issues that that we're all dealing with. So. Um, yeah, it was interesting to see, and I'm I'm gonna I, I, I look forward to hearing what Cody has to say. Um, he he's been on here with me before, and I think um, I think he brings a good a good perspective as a as a more right leaning minarchist than he is an anarchist. But um, you know, I I don't know that anyone could have walked away feeling hopeful for the future. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kanye should have been there. Um, it would have been so much better if Kanye took the mic from Trump. Uh, and and I say Trump because, man, I I really don't care at all about um, um, either of these people. But he was so obnoxious to listen to and to um, to to see him continually interrupt was was like watching a grade school kid interrupt class. It was, that was me. That was, I was that, that kid. So maybe that's why it bothered me so much, but um, no, I'm not a minarchist. I'm an anarchist. Um, uh, hey, Cody, thanks for joining, man. Can you hear me? I'm, I'm trying to wear a headset this time because I feel like the last time it didn't work as well. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear you just fine. Okay. Um, so I was just saying that I'm not super hopeful that these debates are really all that useful anyway. And I started to say that Trump's obnoxious. Um, but, uh, what, what did you think, man? So, um, well, do you want to, before we talk about politics, do you want to just talk about the optics of it? <laughs> yeah, sure. You mean like the, the, the way that they situated them or like how they both appear? Well, just like the, 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 the vibe, like how did, how did yeah. everybody look? Um, so, you know, I've heard people kind of say that it was like, I mean, obviously it was, it was not great in any case, but I don't think that Biden came out looking worse than Trump, though. I mean, I don't think it was like an equal thing. I mean, I think Trump set the tone and Biden and um, Wallace just kind of had to roll with it. And I like, I kind of, I kind of can't totally blame Biden for, for, you know, like being agitated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, he came so off more guess, more human, right? Like everyone thought, like, oh, he's really controlled. 
you got to kind of tip your hat. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. For a guy who was, um, you know, threatening uh, auto workers in Michigan in the last year, I think he came off as very, <laughs> very disciplined. Which I think, you know, Trump kept saying for the last, you know, last few months or whatever that you know Biden doesn't even know he's alive, and it's <laughs> like, well, if that's the standard he has to be, <laughs> then I think Biden's going to do fine. Right. Because Biden, Biden was d- doing debates last year, and he, you know, he wasn't great or anything, but he was all right. He was talking to people who are way more on top of it than Trump, and he still came out all right. So I, I think I didn't – you know, Biden is somebody who, if he's not being really focused, he can wander off into weird territory. Right. But he also knows what he's doing. I mean, he can if he can keep himself focused, if he knows that he really needs to be on, on point, he can do it. And so I think, uh, I think Trump looked a lot worse. I think um, Biden – you know, if you don't know anything about politics and you're not talking about the issues and you're just talking about who – how did everybody look? I think Biden looked pretty good and Trump looked terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the expectation was um, that Biden would be terrible because we all kind of thought, I think it, overinflating the senility that I think we all see in him and that he's clearly yeah. lost a step with his cognition um, is something you want to capitalize on. And, you know, Trump's, Trump never adjusted. That was the th- I wanted to like yell at the camera while I was listening, thinking like, okay, you're 10 minutes in. You're clearly not really shaking him up. He's a 47-year veteran of stumping and just like, you know, vomit of the mouth for various political platitudes. So, you, you, you know, even if he's, his brain is completely pocked with, with, um, with Alzheimer's, it, it, he's probably going to do okay at just like rattling off talking points. Um, sure. You need to adjust and let him speak because if if he doesn't have the opportunity to actually do that rambling like Sleepy Joe thing, then you lose a lot of of the like punch of him looking senile. And you just had to, he had to feel, and this this is so much like Trump's thing, right? He he has so little self awareness. Like, how do you? how do you maintain that persona the entire time? Well, I don't know how much of a persona it is, but how do you maintain that the entire time and not be like, okay, I must be really coming off as an insufferable ass right now. Yeah. I think you mean fursona. Yeah. So, um, I think, um, with Trump is concerned with presenting himself as an alpha male in a way that alpha males are never actually concerned with. <laughs> like, there's something about Trump that he doesn't come across as just a really strong person. He comes across as the bully on the playground who's getting beat every night, and he has to, like, make everybody else feel bad. Right. To try to, you know what I mean? And so I think that's exactly how he came off. I think he, I think he came off worse than normal. I mean, if you go back to the Hillary debates, there was one where he was pretty subdued. And so, I, I mean, I expect that he might do okay. Um, but the other two, he was an ass. And, um, I think he just went, he just went really hard this time. And I think it depends on, so depending on what your metric is, um, I think that will kind of tell you who won the debate. So like if your metric is basically, um, you know, uh, the left just aren't even people and we should own them whenever possible. And our platform should be to come after them aggressively and dehumanize them, um, then I think Trump, then obviously Trump won if that's your metric. But if you're looking for somebody who comes across as, um, you know, sort of bipartisan, somebody that if you were kind of right wing, you could still sort of, yeah, this is my president. Maybe I didn't vote for him, but he's fine. Um, I think Biden, Biden went after Trump in some personal ways, but he didn't really go after like everybody who might vote for Trump. And I felt like Trump sort of basically said, I can win this without without swinging a single person on the left, and that was essentially what he tried to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a question about if they're ever going to talk about foreign policy. I, I don't know if the topics for the next two debates are supposed to deal with that specifically, but yeah, no, they never really they didn't touch on it at all. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I mean, obviously, it, it's perfect. Right? It, it's um, purposeful, rather, right? That like he wants to he wants to put off this this idea that he is the strong man, law and order type, but yeah. you know, it's weird. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about my views on politics now relative to, um, you know, the normies or like even myself 10 years ago, but um, 
it seems really clear to me that, um, you know, there really isn't a ton of substantial difference between a lot of these candidates. Trump is obviously meaningfully different in a lot of, in a lot of ways that I think are, you know, an aberration to normal politics. But, um, you know, you're not dealing, Biden is not a leftist. I mean, the leftists think he's basically a Republican and Republicans think he's some, some like radical ideologue. He's like a reluctant, uh, I don't know, pragmatist. Like he's just trying to build coalitions. Yeah. That's been the Democrat party's thing forever. Um, yeah, I was just, I was just listening to uh, uh, Jonah Goldberg's remnant podcast and he basically, what he said, so I thought was kind of interesting that, that, uh, Biden isn't a centrist in that he's trying to bridge the right and the left. He's a centrist within the Democratic Party and that he's trying to kind of bring the, the real centrists and the leftists together. So he's always he kind of just he always sort of shifts himself based on where the party is yeah. and tries to plant himself firmly in the middle. Right. Um, and that's the only candidate yeah. they could have these days. I mean, think about the moment. You couldn't have a, a divisive candidate right now. You need the, the slippery um, like Plato guy. Yeah, I think Biden was a good choice as far as that's concerned. I mean, obviously, he's getting older, and, you know, I don't know, maybe somebody like Buttigieg who really tried to uh, swing moderate during the um, during the primaries maybe could have been a better choice, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I just, you know, what, what's, what's – do, do you ever read or watch The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Mm-mm. There's the the character Zaphod Beeblebrox, who's like elected president of the galaxy. He's he's like and when they did the re, the movie uh, the movie reboot some years ago, they had um they basically painted him as like George W. Bush. But um, I think Trump is a lot like this this character Zaphod Beeblebrox, who uh, there's a line um, where he says, "If there's anything on the ship more important than my ego, I want it shot and killed immediately." Something like that. Um, and I, I think Trump is just not somebody who, you know, George W. Bush had this line, "I want to be the president of everybody." Uh, meaning that even if you didn't vote for me, I'm I still am interested in, in you know making your life better, and I want to I want I want to be somebody you can look up to. Now, of course, there's this question about whether we should be looking up to right. our political leaders in the way that we do and letting them set the tone. But unfortunately, that's what we do. And I think I what's kind of frustrating for me is not knowing how much blame goes to Trump for the t- for the uh, example that he sets because. I mean, he's obviously responsible for setting the example he does, but on the other hand, it's kind of like, aren't we supposed to be adults? Like, I mean, it's on some level, um, you know, I I have like family who are on the left who say, talk about how stressed out they are. And I say, okay, stop watching CNN, get off Facebook, and you probably won't be stressed out anymore. (laughs) And it's like, on some level, you know, when it comes, policy is one thing, You, you know, policy is a president does this and you or, or a government does this and you're stuck with it and you can't do anything about it but basically him just going out there and saying stuff like if people could just be adults and ignore him we'd be in a much better place so it's like on some level what trump says is bad but it, it's almost the fact that it that we go with it and react to it says more about us than it does about him mm-hmm. yeah and I, I i i do think you know if trump Trump clearly didn't prepare for this debate. If I, if I were a betting man, he said it doesn't matter. He truly believes Joe's going to slip up and, and sound like an idiot, and he's going to just pummel him. Um, but he didn't capitalize in the areas where he really could have. And I took some notes. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he really could have had, like, like um, a, a little speech together, ready to answer the white supremacy question. How, how did you not? knock that out of the park you didn't think after four years that they were going to hammer you on the race issue you should have had uh, i mean even even the black unemployment lines that he keeps using about the lowest unemployment in in history whatever like you can hit those numbers and just you know whatever um but he's even answered these questions in the past um with like stumped relatively canned speeches um so i i was really uh, amazed that he didn't have something ready to go. Um, and conversely, Biden, I, he didn't really have any policy, anything um, like substantive for what it is about his candidacy that we can expect, except that he isn't Trump. And he really tried to like 
contrast himself, and I, it wasn't hard with, with the way that the behavior of the two of them were, um, that he came out looking good or better. I mean, certainly not good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, wh what is his policy? Even, even in the moment with the Green New Deal thing, like, he he can't even help himself to try to shoot the middle and play both sides with, like, you know, these, like, mealy-mouthed uh, commitments to both um, not agreeing with and agreeing with the Green New Deal because they're both in such untenable positions, it seems. And Biden's big hurdle is going to be getting people to go pull the lever or even take the time to fill out the form and write his name in, right? Um, and I, I do wonder if his, his like, fumbling, and there was some of that, um, and the very little, like, tangible policy stuff is going to hurt him. Because how, how motivating is this guy? If Hillary Clinton wasn't motivating, I, he is an absolute wet towel. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's fair. I, I guess there's a, there's a legitimate... It's wet blanket. blanket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's a legitimate question about how many people really care about policy. Like, I think it's on some level people do, like, yeah. very big, big, kind of broadly, you know? Um, but I, I don't know that... I mean, people necessarily care about the specific details of Trump's policy. Um, I think that they like the slogans. Mm -hmm. And I think... Um, and we talked about how the right has tried to paint Biden as, as ultra left. And um, I think some of the people who they're hoping are going to vote may think that. But I think people who are really on the left, right know that Biden isn't that way. And I think Trump actually painted that contrast himself. So if you watch it, you know, Trump, every time Biden would sort of say, well, you know, I don't have this radical left wing view or whatever. Trump would go, oh, well, that's really going to upset the leftists or whatever. And it's like, yeah. so then what he's really essentially saying is. Biden is not nearly as far left as I'm saying he is. Like, mm -hmm. Biden is more moderate. So if you want somebody who doesn't act like, you know, like a crybaby on stage and <laughs> isn't a, an ultra-left winger, Biden is a good choice. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's kind of what came across from how, how Trump was doing that. And, yeah, what, what's what's weird about Trump, and, and maybe we'll move out, out of optics after, you know, move on to, to policy questions, but um, – is how Trump is held to a different standard. Like he can be an ass all the time and you're basically like, you're supposed to be used to it. So that you can't really complain about it. Mm -hmm. But like if anybody else who's like not an idiot constantly tries to like do, do a little bit of Trump, everybody's like, come on, man, what's your problem? Mm -hmm. And so like, I think, um, I think it was smart that Biden tried not to do it too much. Obviously he did it a few times, but um, because I think it doesn't hurt Trump to do it, but it hurts anybody else to try to be like Trump. And, and so he does a have a little like, bit of a penchant for it, right? Like he kind of yeah. says like tough guy stuff too. He does. Yeah. Yeah. He does sometimes. I, I think he really tried hard to control himself because Biden also has a temper, mm -hmm. but I think he knew that the optics of him uh, being more under control was going to help him. Right. And I think he knew that, Oh, essentially being like Trump is like, you know, mud wrestling with a pig. Um, you know, you get dirty and the pig, do, you know, the pig likes it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it really doesn't avail much. Yeah, that's a, that's the perfect metaphor. Like, that's exactly what this whole thing is. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see, man. I, I, I don't know that this really means anything, like polling-wise. You know, they've been fixed for weeks. But um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I don't think we're going to see a huge shift. I, I honestly think the really most important factor is going to be how many people are willing to actually, actually vote for for Biden, how motivating can he be for the people that he needs? Um, but yeah, let's let's get into let's get into some of the policy that was on offer. Um, yeah, healthcare uh, was like one of the first um, areas I started really taking notes on policy, uh, where I I thought that they were really starting to get, I don't know, some sort of structure, and uh, Trump's. Trump's plan was absolutely ridiculous. Again, like just to go to, to like him not being prepared at all. Your entire idea of presenting your healthcare plan or, and I kept wanting to hear this and I, I keep wanting to hear some sort of conservatism from conservatives or ostensible ones, that you don't need a plan because that's not the purpose of the, the office. He just says that he repealed the individual mandate and keeps, you know, rattling on about that. Like that's not a plan. And yeah. And, 
Well, and he fixed the price of some medication. Right, right. right. Yeah. Uh, insulin is going to yeah. be so low. Listen to me. Um, it's like water. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's what he, oh, my gosh. But the, po the, public po uh, the public option policy of Biden is also absurd. That's not what public yeah. option is. When, when you say that you're going to extend public option, and that means that people who can't get on Medicaid in certain states because Republican governors are such jerks, uh, that you're going to make that possible at the federal level for eight states. And he's minimizing that to appear moderate. The public option means that if you want to, if you want to uh, uh, elect for Medicare, Medicaid, instead of having to deal with private insurers, you can do that. And it's, there's not going to be a differentiation for these eight states and there won't need to be. Um, it's, it's crazy to me. The, the public option, I mean, Healthcare is one of those areas that I spent a fair amount of time thinking and reading about, and um, yeah, our our healthcare system is absolutely doomed. I have I have no hope that we won't be in single payer in our lifetimes. Um, it's going to take a little bit longer, but we'll. We're, I mean, if conservatism um, is just progressivism driving the speed limit, as Michael Malice would say, then the U.S. is just Europe driving the speed limit. Um, we'll be there. It's but I, I couldn't believe either of their presentations wasn't more alarming to the people who would be voting and that Trump didn't hit them on the public option thing more. Yeah. I, I think most people who vote though are sort of pragmatists. They sort of go, well, this sounds good. If we can do it, let's do it. And, you know, healthcare is one of those things that I think was the hardest for me as a libertarian to get over because I think there is something sort of guttural about like, um, as far as like, you know, moving into libertarianism, there is something sort of guttural about like, hey, there's people who really can't afford some stuff. And, you know, if, if we care about those people, we should, you know, want them to be able to have basic health care and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and but, you know, I, I think that the more the more I learn about how, you know, government sort of destroys everything it touches, <laughs> the more I, I see the benefit of a free market approach and the more I see that the reason for a lot of the cost that we have is government intervention. Um, in different ways, Some, sometimes even just in, um, I think, um, backing up patents and, and letting them extend for much longer than they should be. You know, um, the way the Constitution talks about patents is um, not that um, everybody has an inherent right to intellectual property. They actually assume that they don't. Um, what they argue is that, you know, this is one of those things that if we want to see progress, we need to motivate people to create new things. And that means that we're, you know, we'll, we'll give them a short period of time or they only, they exclusively can benefit from their ideas. Um, and I think, so the idea is to spur on innovation to benefit everybody else. And I think the way we've got it right now is the patent system primarily benefits, um, you know, big corporations that buy out these ideas from individuals. And, and I, so I think one of the reasons that we, we have an, an issue right now with the cost of, of, the, of, um, uh, prescriptions is because the government is doing too much to back up these patents and they should stop doing it. Um, so anyway, it was, a, it was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but um, ultimately my thing um, as I watched this was um, there's two issues that I keep thinking about um, from, from the perspective of a Christian and a libertarian. One is who is going to ramp up government violence and who is going to make polarization worse. And um, why does polarization policy, become a factor? I think polarization is a factor for me because whether we like it or not, I think the president is setting a tone. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I think we're in a bad spot because of that. I think and, and also because I mean, from a Christian perspective, you know, where I come from, I mean, the, the gospel is the message about Jesus breaking down these kind of stupid barriers that we raise up between you know, nations and ethnicities and, and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, the one thing that's kind of cool about, about America is that it's a, it hasn't always done this perfectly, but it's supposed to be a country where people can exist and disagree about things and come from different places and, and basically kind of build a life together, you know, under a sort of a federalistic approach where, you know, so part of the problem is we've centralized things too much, right? So if Ohio wants to do this and California wants to do the other thing, um, whether they like it or not, one side is going to win and everybody has to do it. But I, I think that polarization is, is definitely an issue, and I think Trump makes it worse and preys on it. I think he brings out the worst in everybody, 
I mean, because because I kind of what I got it earlier is you know it's it's our human nature um, that is, is really the problem. But Trump kind of picks at it and he brings it out, and so it's a little bit like uh, um, the character Randall Flagg in Stephen King's book The Stand, who like he shows up and he just makes everybody want to kill each other. <laughs> and I think so. I, I do think if if you're going strictly on polarization and you feel like you have to vote for one or the other, Biden's a better choice because Biden is not. Um, somebody who can really motivate people one way or the other, <laughs> you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't inspire people uh, to, 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 to support him or to go after others. Um, but when it comes to government violence, the policy issues, I don't think that the differences between the two are very marked. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess there could be an argument about the polarization thing too, in so far as it goes, like if Biden will represent a, a more express line towards centralization, then that necessarily means that we'll be more polarized. I don't know. I think the nature of politics, especially today with um, the velocity of information and stuff, like the polarization is is only going to ever reach the fever pitch the, the longer we have um, faux-federated model of government where we have some like idea that we have input and this giant machine um, that we're all fighting over. Um, and that kind of brings me to one of the big points I wanted to talk about, which is, is this, it's this obsession with plans. And it's not unique to this debate, and it's not unique to this presidential campaign. Um, but it's interesting to me that, and this is why I, I resent Trump, I think, more than any other reason. He capitalized on this sentiment of of really upset, um, whatever, like th this coalition of of conservatism and this strain of thought that says that they want a smaller state, and they're tired of like PC culture and and wokeism and whatever, and has had none of the like intellectual framework to really capitalize on that energy and like actually hit the big points, and. If I were like advising him, I would say every time he talks about a plan, you should hammer him on the fact that no one cares what your plan is, that your, your office is too big because of people like you who have been for 47 years, who, who have made the presidency the generalismo that all these uh, founding fathers we laud had warned us against. And I don't care what your healthcare plan is. That's not our job. Our job is to defer to the Congress to figure it out and to pass um, any law or, or veto it or whatever based on our view of what's beneficial for the American people, period, end of story. Go back to you know your retirement home and your, your ballooning um, tax returns that you're, you're so excited about um, because you, you represent the problem in, in this country. And nothing, there's, he just accepts all those presuppositions because he's, He's just a one-dimensional cartoon character. And it's, I mean, I don't know, man. It, you would think that anyone in there would, like anyone in his team would have, have a sense of like how, how important that is to so much of his base, that, that there really is like a, a decentralist strain there, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Republican Party is not really conservative anymore. I mean, I, you know, yeah, so, right. I mean, you're right. There's there's a conservative strain in Republican politics and a federalization and a federalist and decentralization uh, idea. But, um, I mean, Trump Republicanism is a different thing. And, and I, you know, what I'm concerned about are the Josh Hawley's and the Tucker Carlson's sort of coming in who are smarter than Trump is, <laughs> but are essentially uh, in support of his um, – well, so the, 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 there's, I guess they're starting to call it, what is it, like, post-liberal uh, integralism and common good conservatism. And what it essentially is, is anti-libertarian. So it's, we're going to make the government big on social issues, and we're going to make the government big on economic issues. Mm -hmm. um, and so Trump has really shifted that a lot. And so if Trump loses this election, we'll see where the Republican Party goes next. Do they continue to go down the Trump line? Do they try to go back to emulating Reagan, or does you know, or does a new Ron Paul rise, rise up and, and shift him somewhere else? Um, and I don't know, but but I agree with you that 
there was way too much discussion about um, you know the trade deals the president should be making, the industry should, should be propping up artificially, that kind of stuff, and uh, this kind of real central planning approach to mm -hmm. uh, you know plan this was plan approach to everything, um, and um, yeah you know and then there, there's, there was nobody there to really challenge that, yeah unfortunately. Um, there, there, there could have been, but she wasn't invited. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know, man. We can talk about that a little bit. I don't think she would have been. I, I don't know anything about her. I don't have anything against her. Um, yeah. I, I shouldn't say I don't know anything about her. I don't know anything about how she would really present herself in a, in a chaotic scene yeah. like that. But I'm not hopeful that she's going to be the person to, you know, we all, we all talk about how great Ron Paul was, and, and he was. But even he was not like, if you took Ron Paul, put him in front of the LP and threw him on that stage, I don't think that he would kill it because you need someone who's got the same bravado um, and the ability to be in the fray a little bit for Trump, but also like really good on the issues, like a Dave Smith kind of persona, right? Um, where like he can punch back and better and smarter and still make the points and make them land. That's, that's, I mean, Trump doesn't make the points or make them land, except insofar as like he just repeats the same like goofy platitudes, um, which really drives me crazy how he, he will say the same sentence twice or three times in a row. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know that she would have done all that much more. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sure probably most listeners know we're talking about Joe Jorgensen, the Libertarian right, right. nominee. And, and I, I don't, you know, as a person, I don't find her exciting. Yeah. I, I'm not really electrified by her. But she's, you know, she's saying a lot of the right things. And I think she's, she's uh, essentially a, a good contrast to what we're seeing from Trump and Biden. And so, you know, um, I, I, I just kind of wish somebody was there to say that kind of stuff. Not that you would have been able to hear him over, over Trump. You know. Oh, my gosh. My favorite, my favorite Trump moment was the, um, where, where Wallace asked him to be quiet and wait his turn or whatever. And Biden says he can't do that. And then he tries to, and then Biden tries to talk and Trump goes, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, you know, well then surprise me. Show me. Yeah. It's like, and it was just this, like, it was just the, the insanity of that moment. I thought was just a perfect encapsulation of the whole thing. Trump literally contradicting himself. You know, as he's speaking, I look how quiet I can be. I'm so great at it. I'm yeah. the best at being quiet. Ask anybody. And it's like, then shut up. I, um... <laughs> you know? Uh, my favorite moment, and this would be a good segue into the next policy piece, was when yeah. uh, Chris Wallace had asked about the precautions at rallies and if that was indicative of their, like, ultimate policy mm. towards COVID. And Trump says that he's got these huge rallies. No one's getting sick. It's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And Biden talks about how he's having smaller rallies because he's trying to signal that he cares about science or whatever. And uh, Trump interrupts him to tell him, because no one shows up to your rallies is why they're small. And Wallace reflexively, like, genuinely laughed and said, like, because it was great. It was funny. Um, and yeah. I, I loved, like, the, that still frame of because no one shows up. I feel like that was the, the you know, lock her up sort of moment. Um, but so COVID. Uh, I, I, I thought that he, um, Biden really tried to take the Fauci sort of like um, intellectual expert science, you know, just sort of like the, the main line on, on COVID, which looks a lot more like further lockdowns. Um, and he was really absurd with his, first of all, the, the rhetoric about the empty kitchen chair, looking into the camera and telling everybody who's lost somebody to COVID that it's all Trump's fault and that we're going to lose 200,000 more people if Trump doesn't get his act together. Um, you know, fear mongering is, is my, one of my least favorite things the psychopaths do. Um, and he, he was, you know, f kind of feebly, but, but certainly like doing that and uh, it really bothered me. And Trump didn't do a good job of making the points about COVID. He didn't hammer the fact that, look, Biden is going to be the one that locks us back down again. Everyone wants to blame us for the economy, having a downturn. Our economy is so great. Listen to me, it's going to recover. But, um, he could have been saying, it's these people that want to lock this country back down. It's these people who are going to destroy this economy. And no, 200,000 people um, 
are not dead because of me. The New York Times reported in March that we would lose a million people at best, no matter what happened. That was what the science told us. We've lost 200,000. Why am I not being lifted up on everybody's shoulders and said how great I am? Um, yeah. and, and talking about the political nature of the response to this. Uh, but, but he didn't do any of that. Instead, he, he talked about how, again, like accepting all the same presuppositions and, and, and arguing on their terms, which is a loser's game. Yeah, I mean, there's this question. Yeah, you know, I think it's important to separate what the science says versus, um, okay, so we, we know about what the science says now. How do we um, how do we come up with a policy that takes that into consideration, but also balances it with other facts? And so I think even if you want to take a libertarian approach, which I would, I think there are a lot of people who wanted Trump to do a lot more, but he could have. There's a couple things that 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 the Trump administration could have really pushed for. One was that he could have pushed for unchaining the pharmaceutical industry so tests could have been more available. Another thing he could have done was not underplay um, the danger. He, and, and, and I think he, it, was, it was an ego thing. He thought, this makes me look bad. So maybe if I just underplay it, then, you know, everything will turn out okay somehow or people won't realize that, that there's a problem. So I think if he could, if he would have said early on, like, you know, hey, the masks might help, but, you know, it's a serious thing. I don't want to, you know, but at the same time, um, there's also a lot of danger in shutting down the economy. A lot of people can die or be hurt that way. So we don't want to go that far, but we still want to take the science seriously. And so I'm going to reflect that that's a that's a real issue to be concerned about but he didn't do that i think and, and i think you know the, the left's answer was a, a strong arm government approach um and the, the right's answer was essentially to ignore the science and, and so I, I don't you know at least trump's trump's approach was that um but yeah i i think that there could have been a lot the only thing you know, he talked about the travel ban thing as an example of um something where he was um really active and the left was denying the danger and he's absolutely right about that mm -hmm. but if he if he but at the same time that's the only thing he did then he left it alone and then the reason that that was the only thing he did was because it was on book for him mm -hmm. he thought oh i can i can shut down some borders sounds great mm -hmm. and um and so i think if if he if he really wants to paint himself as somebody who was concerned about it and doing something from day one and was consistent I don't think that works because I think once it became an issue that he thought could hurt him and the left was going on one, the other side of it, he, he took, he took a basically a denial approach. Mm -hmm. Well, and um, it, it having originated in China really plays into the, the uh, Trump platform. The Chinese plague. <laughs> right. And, um, <laughs> and the fact that uh, there really was a lot of, um, extreme fear-mongering about the virus early on. Everyone was terrified. We all capitulated to lockdowns precisely because we were being told that a million plus people could die from this. Now it turns out yeah. that that's not the case and that the vast, vast majority of people are elderly. And the, the, the journal O's and people, people who die. Yeah. What did I say? You said, you said the vast majority of people are elderly. I mean, the people, the people who are dying. People who right? die, or, yeah, or, um, yeah, are at yeah. risk. And, and he, misses, yeah. he misses the ball again um, talking about the lockdowns. He doesn't, he doesn't draw a stark contrast between his policy and the policy of what Biden represents, which is the establishment, which is his primary thing, right? His plank is I'm the anti-establishment guy. Okay, well, then lockdowns aren't because, lockdowns aren't bad because divorce is on the rise and depression is on the rise and alcoholism is at a, on the rise. The reason that they're terrible is because they're gonna kill more people than the virus would have otherwise. And there's like data to support that. It may not be true, but there's data to support that. And there's epidemiologists and public health experts who are arguing that publicly right now. Martin Koldorf was just on Tom Woods' show talking about him and Gupta's work over the last several months and all of their publications. That stuff matters. And you could have talked about that, but you've never read a damn thing. And none of your people apparently do either because that's what you guys decided was gonna be the primary focus for why lockdowns are bad. Not the fact that, hey, hey, if the left really cares about minorities, people of color, people that are poor, uh, turns out we're going to kill 1.4 million babies with TB worldwide because of the lockdowns. USAID can't get food to all these people and starvation's on the rise. Yemen, look at what we've done to these people. Um, you know, the, the cancer screening issue and how the, the UK NIH came out um, in, in like April and said that they were going to lose more people to the lack of cancer screenings for just a couple months 
than they will from the virus at their worst projections. That stuff is wild and is completely like, why aren't you injecting that really, really powerful information into the conversation when it's nowhere to be found? Like if you're going to be anti-establishment and you're going to take the line that the Times is out to get us, and they probably are, then insert the information that they're not publishing. Um, instead, we get, we get just, I don't know, him repeating himself over and over again on these platitudes that don't matter. Divorce, depression, alcoholism matter. Um, so uh, wh where do you want to go next? Do you want to go to, to, to race? Um, I, I do want to say one thing uh, that Biden yeah. mentioned about the, the troops and the military when they did talk about the military was that he actually took the line of George W. Bush almost verbatim. He said that they were going to the, the Cheney Bush campaign was that Clinton had too much military adventurism and that their military had had gotten stale with old equipment. And his argument is the same. Um, doesn't mention the military adventurism, interestingly enough, and then says that we need to make sure that um, if we're going to have this cronyist system where we supply trillions of dollars of equipment every year to, well, that's a little exaggerating, but uh, trillions of dollars in capital being injected into the military, we need to make sure that it's American owned. So we need to be mercantilist on top of um, Imperial. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you want to do the... Um, the, the race stuff in Kenosha. Um, we we, we, we can talk order. about that. And, 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 and so I'm, maybe I can start, if that's okay, if I can start this by asking three questions that I'm a little bit confused about. Um, first is, did Trump disavow white supremacists or not? <laughs> that's one. Two, are the Proud Boys white supremacists? And three, what does stand back and stand by mean? Because when I first heard him say that, when you're talking about the Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. I thought it was a declarative statement, not a um, uh, an imperative statement. I thought he was saying, "Hey, listen, you know the Proud Boys, they just kind of stand back and stand by, and you know, I, I, as opposed to like Antifa who are out there destroying things." That's how I understood it. Uh, but it seemed pretty clear that other people didn't hear it that way. And then I watched some clips and I thought, "Yeah, maybe it's an an imperative statement." Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, I. I think the same thing. I, my understanding of the Proud Boys with what little I've, I know about them is when they were under the banner of Gavin McGinnis and what they've been talked about like in the New Right and stuff, which is like that they're an anti-left, anti-progressive, anti-woke, you know, expressly chauvinist, um, like boys club for kids, like neckbeards who otherwise um, would be like, you know, having land parties with their buddies instead of like, you know, punching each other in the face for the first time and having some like pseudo fight club uh, machismo to, to yeah. like, you know, I don't know, like grow into this like Tyler Durden version of manhood. Um, I've never do, understood. Do, do, do you think they're, do you think they're ethno-national? Because as, as no. far as I can tell, and I haven't done, I haven't done a lot of reading on it, but I, I tried to research it a little bit. It seems they're at least like maybe ethno-nationalist adjacent. Sure. Like there are I, certain things the founder has said that, that seem that kind of way, and they talk about like Western chauvinism, um, which I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I should say, I when I say no, um, I mean no. That wasn't my understanding of them, and oh. um, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, even I, mean, if, I, I think they, I think they, they say stuff that you know, if, uh, if, if Professor Griff from Public Enemy or Nick Cannon said, uh, or like, you know, certain like black national celebrities or whatever, I think they would get away with it. But mm -hmm. I think it's a little different when it's a white guy saying it, you know, and, and that, so I don't know about like Western, Western civilization. And, and there's a, it, some of that stuff is like, it gets close, like it, it gets on the border, right? I mean, like, I think on the one hand, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, hey, I think Western civilization has been a net good. You know, there's, there's, it's not been perfect, but it's been a net good. And, but then, you know, to the right of that is this kind of like, you know, every other civilization is backwards and retarded and Western civilization is the pinnacle. And that might have something to do with our superior genes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, like, I, I get a sense that Proud Boys is kind of at least straddling that. Do they take that next step, though? Because I think even if you were to say, like, we featured the Enlightenment in all of these, like, major advancements in the way that we like structure society and that's a net good for society and therefore western civilization is superior that doesn't that doesn't 
necessarily mean that it's because it's primarily white. I think it could, and it does for many. Yeah. But do they say that? Yeah, I don't not necessarily. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's a little bit like like a, like a black nationalist saying something about a civilization started in Africa mm -hmm. when white people were in caves, afraid of their shadows or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would. I think they get a little bit close, and they hang out with people who say that kind of stuff. Sure. I, I just think they they don't really feel they don't feel the need to distance themselves from it strongly, I guess is what I would say. They well, get a little close to it. And that insight is important because just as the new right says, and this is like one of the real insights I got out of that book and why I love it so much. The right as it is today, like the modern meme, right? The, the ones on the internet that are actually like moving the culture and, and, and like changing the debate. They only really ha have one singular unifying feature which is that they're opponents of the left they're opponents of progressivism and so everything else is sort of an aside and they they do find camaraderie with um various disparate unpalatable groups but um that th it doesn't matter to them like and and i could totally see the proud like the proud boys leaped on the stand back and stand by thing right away i think because yeah. one it plays to their their and i don't know enough about them to be speaking about them like this but like it plays to like their messaging right like they're the anti-antifa guys and now they're getting the shout out on national tv um yeah. but also like it's funny right like it's just like shit posting like yeah the tr tr it's it you we we came up with this thing that's like the um intellectual parallel to like a 4chan um troll that is now being talked about in the presidential national debates in terms of being like a, a threat to national security or, or our way of life or something. Like, I think that they like that and there, no one really is willing to, to acknowledge that so much of, of this stuff is just the alarmist response that it gets. Like it, the, the proud boys, they all operate in terms of like, how much can they animate the empty suits, the journalists, the, the, yeah. the left. Yeah, that's true. But, but, but I think that also factors into this question about the, the tone that Trump sets, right? Because I think mm -hmm. you see these, a lot of these groups rising up in response to threats that Trump claims is coming from the left. And then the left, far left mobilizes in reaction to Trump. And so, you know, I think that there's absolutely a tone that's being set there that's that's dangerous. Um, I think this question of of um, so whether or not they're white supremacists, I think I think they're at least adjacent to it, even if they don't want to really take that official line. Um, um, this question of whether he disavowed them, and there's Trump has kind of an issue with that, and I think there's there's probably two reasons. One, because Trump does not want to turn down anybody who might vote for him. And I think Trump actually believes that white supremacists are in the base of the Republican Party. And he doesn't want to upset those people because he thinks they, I think he thinks there are a lot more than, than there are. Oh, um, I don't know. Have you ever heard the, the speech where he talks about like how disgusting they are and he disavows them? Absolutely. Um, so he, he's, so he's done it. There was, there was the, so in the, in the speech that people talk about where he's, um, where he talked about good people on both sides. No, 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 no. And then this he sort of a separate thing. Okay, well, to say, well, he, went on, he went on in that speech to say that he wasn't talking about the white supremacists, right? And that part always right. gets left out. Right. Um, and, and there was, a, I remember there was an interview where he was sort of pressured and pressured and pressured, and he finally said, yeah, I disavow, I disavow, whatever. But, but I, I think he does have a hard time wanting to do that, because I think he does worry that those people might be, um, might be a, a significant voter base for him. I think that's part of it. I think part I think of it, too, is, is that he doesn't calculate that they're, I, I take a different line in that, like, I, I don't think yeah. he calculates, like, he, he's the kind of guy, look, I, I've spent every moment of my professional life in like the C-suite of various businesses. I'm not going to spend time saying over and over again that I disavow this group that like you guys want to paint me as. And maybe that's part of it yeah. too. Like it, he doesn't want to play. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't think he's a white supremacist and I don't think that he spends a lot of time trying to cultivate any relationship with them. Yeah. I, so, I, I, yeah, the, the, I can't remember who said, I can't remember the exact terms they use, but um, there's like white supremacy as an ideology. And then there's like kind of like Archie Bunkerism and like, you know, George Jefferson type mm -hmm. of, you know, where it's like, 
you know, no, you know, anyway, I, I, I want a couple of any examples, but um, <laughs> things that those people might say. But I think I think Trump is probably one of those guys who I'm sure has made, um, you know, et- kind of nasty ethnic remarks in private. But I, at the same time, you know, uh, you know, I'm sure he'd like play golf with a black dude and not think about it. You know what I mean? There's like this is kind of kind of like a racism light thing. But I don't think he's like an ethno nationalist or anything like that. I don't think he has enough of an ideology to be that kind of person. Right. Um, but I think the second thing, um, and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, the reason why he doesn't want to do this is I think he doesn't like to do anything that anybody tells him to do. And I think, I think he resents the idea that they're sitting there saying, well, you know, you need to do this. And he's like, well, I don't want to, you know, cause I'm, you know, I'm a five-year-old. Um, but I think there's, there was a way he could have pivoted. And, and so th- this goes back to the alpha male thing. I think somebody who really is commanding the situation can quickly address the question and then take over the question and they you know so he could say well of course i don't support white supremacists i disavow them completely that's not my platform i'm somebody who wants to bring everybody together and you know look at how much i've done for the black community blah blah and then you pivot to but these guys these antifa guys these you know far left guys that's where the you know i think they're just as much of a threat and we're kind of downplaying that and biden do you disavow those people so I think he could have pivoted if he really had control of the situation, but he doesn't. He's not an alpha male, mm-hmm. and he doesn't know how to handle those situations. So he just kind of got backed into a corner, and he lashed out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, do you think that, sure, I will disavow counts as I disavow, <laughs> by the way? Yeah, I think that he was like, again, he didn't land the point. I think that was the the purpose of it was to disavow. Yeah. Um, as, as we've seen him do before. But I also think like, uh, like so many of these things, he's not prepared for it, doesn't land the points and comes off just like with, and he never learns these lessons. You keep getting hammered. Everyone accepts that the story goes that you said there's good people on both sides. When anyone who's actually watched the video knows that that's not the essence of what you were saying. And it's like a like pretty criminal way to cut, to cut the, the, the quote. However, you need to make sure that you don't ever do that again when you're talking about race, because it's one of the most animating factors of your opponents. And so when they ask you about whether or not you support white supremacy, you got to knock it out of the park. And instead he goes, sure. And then, (laughs) you know, like, when when someone says racism, you need to spit on the ground and cross your heart. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So, I, I do think that the, the conflation of white supremacy militia groups like those in Kenosha was, was insane and, and terrifying. Um, I, 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 we could have a whole episode on that and uh, maybe we should, but um, I, I do want to hit a couple other things, particularly before we get out of here, because I think we only have a little bit more time. Um, yeah. So he was extremely weak on, uh, on climate climate change issues, uh, he, again, not prepared. Cool, you have one, one singular talking point about how the forests are dirty and they need to clean them up, um, but, uh, and, and that you, you've invested a little bit more in energy, um, which is even people like, I've had arguments in the comments in my own posts about how like, Trump supporters support that, great. You, you, need to, you need to go further and talk about like, the fundamental difference between your plan and what you understand Biden's plan being the Green New Deal to be, and he didn't do that. Um, but now we know, right, that Biden kind of will adopt something like that, or at least rhetorically to get elected, which is a, a big yeah. development. I think, yeah, I mean, I think Biden swings Green New Deal, even if he's not going to actively support it, right? I mean, he, he's going to have a more, a more, you know, let's let's address climate change through the government and mm-hmm. take a more active role in it, right? Right, and he has to, he um, has to sate that left strain. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I I started to research this a little bit because I mean, you know, the the line about forest mismanagement is one I've heard for a long time, and I think there's actually something to it. But it's like anything else. Once once Trump says it, it doesn't sound very good anymore. Um, so like, but I think there is something to it. Um, there's also some some evidence that what we're seeing is is kind of abnormal in a way, um, and that areas where forest fires had cleared in just very few recent. Like, you know, just a few years ago, are still burning. Like, you know what I mean? So we're having this issue where, because of drought, because of the dryness um, in California, we're having forest fires spreading like they didn't before. 
um, and it's much harder to stop them. And you can partly blame forest mismanagement on that, but there's something else going on. And, and um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know enough about climate change to deny it or believe in it. I mean, it seems to me that there's some good evidence for it, uh, but I also think that it's also possible that elements of it have been overblown for political reasons. But, mm -hmm. um, but, but I, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's probably simplistic to just say it's mismanagement, but it's also simplistic to say, to basically blame everything on global warming. Mm -hmm. um you know um but anyway yeah i think i think you're right and i i um all right so this is the this is the thing i wanted to hit before we get out of here the transition okay. to power voting mail-in voting and, uh -huh. and that thing i i think that that's really interesting and i'm i'm interested to get your take about about that that moment because it does seem like you know you talking about divisiveness earlier that that as as we reach a, a more uh fevered partisan interaction you know things the, the risks become greater this does feel like they're both sort of setting the groundwork and hedging their bets for a potential loss and a potential capitalization on their perspective bases to argue against the results. And Trump said explicitly he would not accept the results if there were questions about mail-in voting, which there absolutely will be um, by the nature of it. Yeah, I mean, and even there, I think there's, there's always a way that Trump could make a point better than he does. Um, you know, I, I think if Trump wanted to say something like, you know, I believe in the process and I'll, I'll abide by what the voters say, but if it seems that there are any questions, of course I'll push back and I'll want to wait until we know it's clear. Uh, but that's, I think he kind of, he talks about everything in such a conspiratorial way <laughs> that I think it, it, it comes off as much more aggressive than it is. I mean, and of course, you know, Hillary said she'd abide by the results as well in 2016, which she kind of hasn't. I mean, I think yeah, she's, she's was... tried to question every, every detail of it. But I think she said it because she thought it was clear she was going to win. So <laughs> it was a different, you know, it's, it's a little different. Right. Um, you know, and I don't know. I, I, I think I think that there are actually legitimate questions about whether or not we can handle mail-in voting with as little preparation time as we have where everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think if it had been better prepared or if it were something that uh, Walmart was handing instead of the federal government, uh, then, <laughs> then maybe it would go a lot smoother. But I mean, I think it's fair to bring up that point. Like, you know, are, do we have the infrastructure available to handle this? Uh, but I think to sort of say that, you know, to imply that the process is inherently suspicious and skewed I, I think is, is going probably too far but well and it it plays I, I read an article in the times about how the republicans have had like a basically since 2000 with the florida debacle um <clears throat> a line on like prosecuting and uh inflating cases of questionable mail-in ballot or voter fraud issues to make the point that like the election process in and of itself is um uh, under under threat of of manipulation from Democrats, but you know I remember learning in eighth grade civics class that the transition of power was um, an, a significant element to the peaceful nature of democracy and why we're so much better off because of it. And yeah. there's something to that, whether or not you know it makes us the the best we could get or not is an entirely different question. But <clears throat> um, it does feel like more than ever before um that's at risk and it's just telling me now we got a minute or so to go um okay. but that is that is concerning to me and it's something i uh i think we should be walking away all a little bit uncomfortable with like you know yeah. the the moment that we're going into the election with is is pretty uncomfortable tensions are high um yeah. everyone's getting armed up which i'm happy about uh, and now we're going to say that this this powder keg has a spark that's endorsed by the presidency. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and so if if the results are certified for Biden, 
does Trump get pulled kicking and screaming out of the White House? Does he does he rule right. as president in absentia from Trump Tower, or mm -hmm. does he have to go to Mar-a-Lago where there's more of a base for him? Right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know. I think that's an interesting question. I keep imagining like Secret Service like joining sides and like you know fighting each other. Yeah. Um, so if only know. it was just them. It will never just be the feds. It's going to be all of us. That's the worst part about it. Yeah. Well, I, I know that you're having to, you're, they're going to wrap us up soon, but um, it was basically, it was a terrible debate. Um, it was kind of fascinating to watch, but also painful. Uh, and on policy, I don't think either looked great, but, but on optics, I think Biden looked a lot better. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what I'd say. Yeah, I agree. Hey man, I, uh, I always, I always value getting to talk, and I appreciate you doing this with me. Um, and I'm sure we'll be doing it again soon. Yeah, stand by and stand back, my friend. <laughs> Later, dude.